This is the Baymaw Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we step into the context of the church in Thessalonica and examine the theme of parousia. Yes. Do we get to know what that means right away, or do we have to wait until later in the episode? Yeah, you have to wait. Okay. But I will say, many people say parousia. Oh. I have always said parousia. I feel like more people say parousia, so I could be wrong. Bema, bima, bima. Parousia, parousia. I don't know. Apparently, I put all my syllables in all the wrong spots, especially when I'm not speaking English. So, what what language is this word in? Uh, Greek. Okay. <laughs> Which is what ruined my GPA. So, more on that later. Next episode, I'll talk a little about how much I hate the Greek language, but... Oh, well, here we go. Paul, he also pens two letters to the church in Thessalonica. There are plenty of commentaries to deal with the context of Thessalonica. And I got to be honest with you and all of our listeners, Brent, I haven't had the opportunity to study the context of Thessalonica like I would like to. Um, ooh, I didn't put this in your notes, Brent. Let's add another book. I can't remember how much uh, Crossan dealt with Thessalonica, but... Um, in Search of Paul. I believe we've recommended it before, maybe. I believe so. By John Dominic Crossan. Yes, Crossan, super liberal. Yes, member of the Jesus Seminar. No, not a horrible individual. Yes, a great scholar. No, you don't have to believe everything he says. Uh, yes, worth your time reading. So, wonderful little gymnastics we can always do there whenever you recommend Crossan. All of my fundamentalist leader re- listeners are going to come out of the woodwork there. So, yes, it is exactly him and just a great first century Roman contextual scholar. So I just recommend that work. I know he dealt with Philippi quite a bit. I want to say he dealt with Thessalonica a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I haven't done a whole bunch of work, so I'm not going to act like I've done all this contextual work on Thessalonica. Um, done a little bit, maybe a little bit more even in the last couple of years than I'd done before, but not a ton. I mean, there are different explanations for what's going on in Thessalonica. Um, and, and one thing that everybody seems to agree on is that the people of Thessalonica had, had some kind of clear misunderstanding. Uh, it's clear that they had a misunderstanding might be the better way to phrase that, um, of the proper response to, to what it means that Christ is coming back, the return of Christ. So it appears that they had a, an issue like, with 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 uh, an emphasis on work and and doing their jobs and engaging in their vocations and actually going to work like apparently people were like quitting their vocations, quitting their work, and uh, and not going to because Jesus is going to come back. So why would I do any of those things? So apparently there's some conversation about that. I don't know a whole lot about that. I'm not going to talk a lot about that today. Um, but one thing that becomes abundantly clear, and again another book that we will recommend here again. I think last episode we did was N.T. Wright's. A uh, book surprised by hope, and probably not even the best book by N.T. Wright on this on this subject, but was just one that I have read more recently, and um, and I know he mentions uh, a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today in that book, so we'll we'll recommend that one more time. But it seems to be abundantly clear that the early believers had a definite understanding uh, that that Christ's Christ's return was very close; it was very imminent. Jesus's return like immediately imminent in the near future. This may not be as far-fetched as it sounds to us from where we sit. Um, uh, We'll talk about that theology like at some other point. But at any rate, it's safe to say that the early Christians in the Roman Empire believed that they might see Christ's return in their lifetime or the lifetime of their own children. 
And apparently this had impacted the Thessalonian community in such a way that it led to their disengagement. If Christ was about to return and make the whole world right, why should we spend our time working? Paul addresses some of these misunderstandings by talking about the need for the believers in Thessalonica to work for, quote, a man who does not work, does not eat. Famous quote from Thessalonians. It is also to this world that Paul speaks of parousia. There's that word, Brent. Didn't have to wait too long. Parousia is a Greek word we often translate as second coming. And while this is a very accurate translation, the term is loaded with historical context that we usually miss. These details uh, can be found, you can find them by studying like N.T. Wright, uh, Ethelbert Stauffer, or early church commentaries by Roland Worth, and, and some other people. Uh, Perusia referred to the second coming of an emperor. In a Roman world that had experienced the havoc of multiple earthquakes, the empire there in the biblical world sat right on a few just major fault lines, and major earthquakes were a definite issue in the ancient biblical world. And we've mentioned that already before, and we're going to talk about it a lot more into our study on Revelation and those kind of things as well. But the Roman Empire had experienced uh, the havoc of multiple earthquakes, and the emperor, after an earthquake, would make a visit to the city. You could think of how in a modern-day setting uh, you, might, uh, you might see our president visit a disaster zone. That kind of a thing. After surviving the extent of the damage, the emperor would leave behind a large sum of money that the people of the city would use to rebuild. In today's language, you might call this like a like some kind of a bailout. Like the, the city's destroyed because of an earthquake. The emperor comes in, surveys the damage, and says, "I'm going to leave behind, you know, thirty million sesterces uh, to help you rebuild." And everyone knew that that emperor who left behind whatever sum of money, everyone knew that the emperor would return one day and you would have to give an account for what you did with his deposit. Like he left all that money. He was going to return. He was going to have a second coming. He came once to do what, Brent? What was he doing the first time? To uh, survey the scene. Yes. Make an assessment of things. Absolutely. So he's he's come once to do that and now he leaves behind money. So you know he's going to come back again for a second coming. And everyone knew the emperor would return and he would want to see what you had done with everything that he had left behind. This return was called a parousia. And we know that Thessalonica experienced at least two of them in the first century, which is unique. A city may or may not have experienced one parousia. And and I won't say that Thessalonica was the most parousias at two, but having multiple parousias in your city is very unusual. But Thessalonica had had at least two of them in the first century. According according to historical record, there appear to be common themes experienced in any given Roman parousia. The first one of the first things that we know is that the emperor would arrive to the sound of a loud trumpet, as the stories are told. As soon as the lookout of the city saw the emperor's entourage, more like a small army, arriving in the distance, the call would go out. The city would not want to be caught with Caesar banging on their front door. You would want to be ready for his arrival. You didn't want him to knock on the gates of the city saying, I'm here. You wouldn't want to know he's coming from miles away. And so you let the city know uh, that that was coming, that, that those city lookouts would sound the trumpet. When the emperor arrived at the city, he would pay the obligatory respects to the dead. Now, now you've been to some um, 
Roman cities, especially in Turkey, Brent. And one of the things that we've looked at is what sits inside uh, oftentimes the main city gate, and if not the main city gate, one of the other main city gates. But what is it that often sits right inside the main city gate there to Roman cities? Was it like a cemetery? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they would often call it the necropolis, the, necropolis, uh, the city right. of the the city of the dead, uh, the city of death. It's the it's the large cemetery. It pays. Why do you put that right inside your city gate? Because it pays respects to all those that have come before you, in the same way that we honor and pay respect to places like Arlington. You would do that in your Roman cities to pay respects for those people that had built the life that you now enjoy in that city. So, in the ruins of those ancient Greco-Roman cities. Uh, there's often seen a graveyard just inside or sometimes just outside the main entrance to the city. And so after the emperor pays his respects there, and, and I kind of think of it, we always have kind of like the PR photo op with, you know, on certain holidays where they're laying the wreath at Arlington or those kind of things. Same kind of idea uh, in the Roman world. So after the emperor pays his respects, arriving at your city, honoring those that have come before, the people of the city would go out to meet him. This meeting has a very particular reference in the Greek language. Uh, It's not just a phrase in the Greek. It's actually used repeatedly throughout Roman history to talk about this unique meeting. And the Greek is ace apentason. Ace apentason. This meeting was referred to as ace apentason, to go out to meet. The goal is to go out from the city to meet with the emperor with joy. And to take him by the hand and show, not literally, you don't take Caesar by the hand, but you take the emperor figuratively by the hand and you show him the city and the great work that he that had been done in his name, in his honor, of course. And so you, you wander him around the city and he left 30 and a half million sesterces to rebuild your city. And so you want to take him around and you want to say, look at how we've rebuilt this, this university, this gymnasium was leveled to the ground in the earthquake and we've rebuilt it. And actually into the apse, we've added an entire new floor into the apse of the gymnasium. And we've actually erected a huge statue to you, emperor, emperor, whoever, emperor Nero, emperor Trajan, emperor, whatever. We, we've added a new uh, way to honor you in this new, and in fact, we had a little bit of money left over, and so we built a brand new water source, a fountain in the middle of the city square. And this this fountain, it, it, it bears your name. We honor you, Caesar, because it, it's all about honoring the emperor and how you've rebuilt. And, and of course, you want to make sure that you've done more with his deposit than was there to begin with. Like your city hopefully is better. It has to be better than it was before the earthquake because the Caesar has left behind his deposit and you need to make it better. So now, if we have that historical context in mind, consider the church in Thessalonica and how they hear the following words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go ahead, Brent, and read us. Tell us what uh, address we got here. Chapter 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. All right. So we've heard that passage before, but probably maybe not with the, with the historical context. So now those words strike us totally different than they did before. Paul describes the second coming of Jesus as the parousia of an emperor. 
to a church that is having a hard time understanding the need to engage in the work of the kingdom, physical labor for that matter, Paul describes the second coming as a parousia, communicating to the people of Thessalonica that they have work to do because God left them with a deposit and expected them to use it to restore and reconcile, heal and rebuild. In Paul's picture, there is a trumpet sound, which is step number one of the Perusia. The dead in Christ rise first, which you, which feels like it mirrors what, Brent? Uh, the, I guess, the respect for the dead. Right. Uh, the emperor meeting the dead first, right, before he comes into the city. And then it says, we are caught up to ace apentesis in the Greek. That's that ace apentesis, a, a very particular meeting as people go out to meet the emperor that is arriving in their city. We go out to ace apentesis, Jesus in the air. The irony runs thick here because the theology that loves to quote this verse as a backing for the idea of the rapture is the same theology that commits the sin of the, Thess- of the Thessalonians. Far too much Christian theology espouses an idea that we are all going to leave this place someday, like uh, some kind of escapism. If this is true, then our goal is to have as many people on our team as possible before some glad morning when this life is o'er. But this is the exact idea that Paul is teaching against. Paul is not arguing for a disengaged theology. He is arguing for a theology of complete and urgent physical engagement. Jesus is going to come back. He left us with a deposit, Paul might say elsewhere, of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have to show him what we did with the place. We're caught up to meet Jesus in the air as he's coming down from heaven for his parousia. So which direction is Jesus going, uh, Brent, when this happens? Jesus is coming down. Jesus is coming down. To quote one of my favorite teachers, uh, he said, I get worried that too many Christians are going to be on their way up and out of here as Jesus is coming down and they're going to pass in the air and Jesus is going to say, hey, where are you going? Because Jesus is coming down and everybody else is trying to get out. This is not a theology of disembodied evacuation. It is a theology of physical participation. May God remind us that we have work to do here today. May he remind us that Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we look forward to the day when the trumpet might sound and we might go out, ace up and tason, to meet Jesus on his way down in order to joyfully take him by the hand and to show him all the things that we were able to accomplish with his help. And when he shows up, I pray we might have something to show him. Perusia, Brent Billings. I am so jealous of all the listeners who are hearing that word for the first time. I'm having a very hard time with that word because I'm so used to parousia. Hey, I'm not even sure which one's right. So we, uh, we should probably like who knows? get like a someone who sure speaks Greek. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, well, I'm going to give a shout out to this to this guy next episode. But we do have a good old Greek professor out there that listens to our podcast. I think still, if we haven't made him angry and sent him away, it's Mr. <laughs> professor Vance Russell. And he teaches Greek, and he is he is a Greek expert. Well, and I don't know if maybe the pronunciation of Greek has shifted over the years and know. centuries. I don't know. Because English certainly has changed dramatically just in the last few hundred years. Yeah, I'm really bitter about Greek. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, one of my favorite stories is about this, though. And I share this on the trip, and I think I'll share it now. Um, my teacher, Ray uh, Vanderlaan, he was on a trip once with... Um, 
uh, I don't know. Should I share his story? Is it okay to share his story? I mean, you're telling it as his story. As his story, not sure. taking it as your own story. All right, all right. So, so Ray had this trip that he took with a bunch of uh, young life leaders um, uh, over in Turkey, and they were at a village that I've actually been to. Uh, it was before I had been to that village, and um, and and they walked into the village, and uh, the whole village just kind of. Um, uh, just went crazy. Hospitality. It's that Middle Eastern hospitality we talked about in session one. And they just pulled out all the stops and they, they made, they made them all stop and, and they made them dinner and they tried to refuse it, but they just had to show them this hospitality. And so they had the group stop there and they ate dinner and, and the mayor came out and the mayor had this bright white suit with this white hat on, which in, in the you've been to Turkey, that would probably stick out. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's going to stick out. And, but he was the mayor. He was the mayor of the city and, and he was just so proud. And so he wanted to show them all around. One of the things that he showed them is this school. It was this one, it's this one room. Like it's not a big school. It's a one room schoolhouse. Like I, I, I even, I, I've seen the schoolhouse. It reminds me of what you would see in like a place like you, know, you, you see pictures of Africa and those kind of things. It's just a one room. Uh, apparently according to the story, it was just empty, hardly anything in it. No books, no desks, but it was, it, they, it was their pride. Like it was a small backwater village and uh, in Turkey, and they loved their kids, and they wanted to educate their kids. Well, the leaders, they were like, Ray, we, we want to help this village out. Like, we want to do something for them. And typically, you, you don't want to leave behind gifts. You don't want to try to pay for their hospitality. It's horribly offensive. But in this story, he said, sure, why don't we take up a, 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 a love offering and whatever we can gather here right now on the spot, we'll leave behind in an envelope and... And, uh, and see what happens. And, and so somehow he said this group of young campus ministers, I mean, young life campus ministers, these are not rich people. <laughs> uh, I can tell you as a campus minister, they're not loaded with cash. Somehow they collected like $3,000. They leave this money behind. And this is huge, like $3,000 in that world, uh, in that village. Uh, this, this mayor, he could just pocket the cash. He could do all kinds of stuff. Like what, there's a million things that could go wrong, but they just trusted that he would do the right thing and they just left the money and, and went on their way and never heard, you know, didn't think they would hear from him again. Well, a few years later, Ray was walking in the same kind of region of Turkey and the small pickup truck is kind of, you know, a little quarter mile away on the other side of a field. And all of a sudden the pickup truck like screeches to a halt and out of the pickup truck chunks jumps this guy and he starts running across the field and he's in a white suit with a white hat. His name was Ollie Oltentop. Uh, was the name of this mayor. That is a fantastic name. It is, which actually means golden dome, if I remember, like golden head or something like that um, in the Turkish language. And so he's he's running across this field, and he see he finds Ray, and he says, Ray, you have to come. You have to come to the village. You have to come. And Ray's like, ah, it's kind of, I wasn't planning on going through the village this time. Uh, it's kind of out of my, okay, okay, well, I'll make it work. We'll be there in two hours. And so he says, excellent. He jumps into the truck, and he takes off, peels out. Two hours later, they show up at the village, and the whole village, it's like Macy's Day Parade. Like, they've decorated. There's, like, music. They've got brass instruments out of nowhere. It's like this huge thing. There's a huge banquet prepared, and and Ollie is there, and he, he, he takes Ray by the hand, and he says, Come, I want to show you the school. And he walks Ray into the school, and Ray says he had, you know, they had bought books and if i remember correctly i'd bought things like sewing machines and just different things and they were at that point in history the number one ranked school district in the country of turkey 
because uh, now, and we drove through this village, Brent. I don't know if you remember me pointing out when we drove through half the bus was asleep, but um, we drove through this village in the bus and it is, it is a small, it was right outside of Lystra is where it was. We are in the back woods of Turkey at that point. It, if you can imagine that kind of a small village having the best ranked school district in, in the country of Turkey. Wow. Like that, that is, that is something. But they, my point with that whole story is they were so proud of what they had done with a deposit that had left them behind. And Ray, I remember telling us, that is my picture of the parousia, of the parousia. That is my picture of Jesus coming back. I want to be able to run across the field in my suit and grab Jesus by the hand and say, Jesus, you have to come. You have to come see what we did with what you left behind and have that kind of joy and that kind of pride and that kind of honor and then to have something to show for it and to have done. That's what we want to be doing here. Not over in a holy huddle trying to stay untainted by the world, but out in the middle of the world putting it together, the Jews would say, tikkun olam, the repairing of the world, putting the world back together in such a way that when Jesus comes back, we're like, oh, you have got to see. We have, we have physically participated in the work of the kingdom. We are making it a more ordered, a more shalom field, filled, a more holy. It's more the, what you dreamed of, your kingdom come on earth. We've been a part of that. So yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. So helpful. Very inspiring way to end our episode, I think. Yes. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, in a week with more of the Thessalonians. So thanks for joining us on the Bama Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.